All right, let's take our Bibles this morning, if you would, and let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As we continue our series speaking about the I Am statements of Jesus. And these I Am statements reveal both the identity and the purpose of Jesus in coming to this world. I don't know if you've ever flown commercially, but if you have, then you've undoubtedly heard the safety announcement at the beginning of the flight. Before taking to the air, one of the flight attendants or a couple of the flight attendants will stand in the aisle and will show several safety features of the aircraft. One of the things that they point out during that safety demonstration is that there is a lighted path, they always do this, a lighted path on the floor in case of an emergency which will lead you to the nearest exit. And I've often thought, I doubt if it's going to be that simple if there truly is a crisis. But the reason that such things exist, a lighted path, leading to the exit, is because in a time of crisis, when we need to be rescued, there's a lot of chaos and confusion about what to do and where to go. It's the same reason that in commercial buildings, the fire code dictates that all exits for the building must be clearly marked, usually with some sort of a reflective surface So if the power is lost, the lights from some light source would indicate how to get out of the building. And many of us would think, well, I know where to go. I would figure it out. But in an emergency situation, it's usually much more chaotic than we can imagine. Now we come to John chapter 14 and you say, Pastor, what does that have to do with the message today? Well, John chapter 14 was a moment of crisis for the disciples. As we come to this chapter, there's a lot of things that have taken place, and literally in John 14, Jesus is just hours away from being betrayed and brought in trial before the Jewish council and eventually before Pilate, where he would be condemned to death. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and we know that in John 13, 14, 15, 16, Jesus is giving them instructions and preparing them for his departure. In chapter 17, Jesus is praying for them, the great high priestly prayer, and evidently he prayed in their hearing, in their presence, So they would know what he was asking the Father for. And then right after that prayer, Jesus went into the garden. And of course, it was in the garden where he was betrayed and eventually taken to his trial. John 14 starts with these interesting words. And we're going to read the first six verses as our text this morning. Jesus says this, "...let not your heart be troubled." Ye believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Consider with me this morning the sixth of the seven I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John made by Jesus Christ. Here in verse 6, Jesus makes the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now we understand this morning when we think about a crisis that there is no greater crisis than the crisis that has been brought about in our world and in our own lives through man's sin. Man has no hope of rescue through any other means than that which God has provided through Jesus Christ. This morning, we want to take a few minutes to consider Jesus' statement to the disciples and what it means to our lives, its implications in the decisions that we make, and even in how we approach the difficulties and the crisis that is taking place in the world around us. Several things I want you to notice here in John 14 about this statement about salvation, because Jesus is clearly making the statement that He is the way to salvation. He is the truth of salvation. And he is the life that is brought at salvation. So consider with me this morning some statements about salvation, which we find backed up in this passage. First of all, would you notice with me that real salvation brings peace? Jesus spoke in verse 1 to the disciples and he said, Let not your heart be troubled. That word, troubled, means to be agitated or disturbed or stirred up or restless. It's the idea of an inner turmoil that is going on. And evidently, that's what was happening to the disciples. And Jesus said, men, let not your heart be troubled. Be careful not to allow your heart to be overwhelmed with trouble. And you might ask the question this morning, why would these disciples, these followers of Jesus be troubled in their hearts? Well, there's probably a number of reasons. By the time we come to John 14, it's been a tumultuous time for them. You see, just before this, Jesus has told his disciples that one of them is a traitor. And this traitor has been dismissed by this point. He's left. He's not there anymore. But the 11 who are still remaining don't understand that he's the one who's the traitor. They're still kind of wrestling with the question, is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray the Lord Jesus? Not only that, 
But Jesus has just finished talking with Peter, the preeminent disciple, if you will, the one with the leadership, the one that everyone else seemed to look to, and Jesus has told Peter that he is going to deny him. And Peter has insisted, I'll never deny you. I'll go to the death without denying you. But Jesus has insisted equally with strength. No, Peter, you will deny me. This is going to happen. The disciples are perplexed. Not only that, but Jesus has been and will continue to talk much about his coming death and departure. And this Though Jesus has been trying to prepare his disciples for it, this does not fit with their paradigm of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Namely, if Jesus dies and he goes away, what does this mean for our future? And what does this mean for the kingdom that we thought Jesus had come to establish? Yes, there are many reasons why their hearts might be troubled. And today, there are many things in this world that can cause our hearts to be troubled. We can look at the world around us, and we see many circumstances, many things that are going on that cause our heart to sometimes churn inside of us and maybe ask the question, what in the world is going on? I've probably asked that question a few times recently. But what I find is that you and I tend to focus on earthly things that bring trouble. What Jesus is trying to do in John 14 is to lift his disciples' eyes from the earthly circumstances that are causing them troubling and agitation and confusion. And he's trying to say to them, there's something better for you to focus upon. Let's get our eyes in the right place. Do you know, this morning, when you and I have the right understanding and perspective of Jesus, it can give us peace. You may be going through a storm. You may be facing great hardship and turmoil, confusion and crisis in your life. That is not only possible, but highly probable, actually. But you don't have to be confused, because even in the midst of that type of a storm... God can give peace to us. But this peace is going to be found in the identity of Jesus. What we're going to find as he reveals what he's up to and who he is, this is going to be the source of peace. If you don't know Jesus, you don't really have any potential to have peace. The only peace that you could possibly have is the peace that would come from physical things. And we know that that's very temporary, easily passes away, it's easily troubled. But the kind of peace that God offers to us through Jesus is permanent. It's something that we need never lose sight of. So we see right away in John 14 that salvation brings peace. And going along with that, we also find that salvation is a promise. Did you notice as I was reading these six verses, how many times Jesus spoke in the definite affirmative? He said things like, I will. Now, when Jesus says, I will, 
you can be sure that he will. You can be positive that there's no backing out of that. Jesus even says to these men in verse 2, if it were not so, I would have told you. There are some things that he wants them to believe, some promises he wants them to be assured in, and he says, I would have told you if it was different than this because I want you to know the promise. Over and over and over again in John 14, Jesus is affirming the faith of these men in him by telling them, I will, I shall, it is definite, there's no doubt about it, I keep my promises. Do you understand this morning that peace is based upon the promise of God? Peace is not wishful thinking. Sometimes, I think a lot of people have this idea that the way to have peace is to check out of your circumstances, to perhaps lose yourself in some sort of a substance or to find some kind of a recreational pursuit that will make you forget your troubles. And, and for the time, you can be excused from the things that are causing you agitation of mind. But that's not how God works. God doesn't remove us from the circumstances per se, so much as he tells us, I have promises for you in the midst of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Salvation is not just wishful thinking. Now, when I use the word salvation, I'm speaking about a rescue, a deliverance, a snatching out of certain destruction and trouble, which is exactly where we find ourselves because of our sin. But Jesus is making a promise to these men, and that promise is, men, you're not going to be lost. I'm not going to lose sight of you. I'm not going to lose my hold on you. Yes, I'm going away. Yes, I'm not going to be here any longer, but there is no danger that I'm going to lose you. And that is a promise from God. Praise the Lord. Our eternal security is not based upon our performance. It's a good thing because if we thought about it very much, we'd be sure to lose our salvation, wouldn't we? You know, just as surely as you could never earn your salvation through good works, you also can't keep your salvation by good works. It's impossible for you to keep yourself saved. That's why you came to Christ for salvation in the first place. And praise God, He's the one who's going to do that work in you And he is the one who's going to keep you. Salvation is a promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 20 says this, For all the promises of God in him, this is speaking about Jesus, are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. And you say, what does that mean? It means this. That Jesus is the reason we know the promises of God will be kept. The fact that Jesus came, that he died in our place, that he rose again from the dead, these are strong affirmations that God will keep his promise of salvation to us. But many times, even as believers, and this is really the reason that we struggle with our hearts being troubled, with having an agitation of mind, Many times we take our eyes off the promise of God 
and we look at the things that are happening around us. We look at the environment. We look at the crisis that is going on in the world. We look at the troubles that we're facing and our heart gets troubled because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and we've taken our eyes off the promise of God when we took our eyes off of Jesus. Salvation brings peace. Salvation is a promise. But now notice what Jesus says to these men and what this promise revolves around, and this is the third thought, salvation provides a place. Jesus begins to speak to his men about the fact that they need not be troubled. Now, in another place, Jesus said to these same men, in this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, it is true that there's much tribulation and trouble in this world. But Jesus in this moment in John 14 is trying to lift the focus of these men. He's trying to get them to stop looking at what is happening right now at this moment in their life. And he's trying to give them an eternal perspective. And he says in verse 2, "...in my Father's house are many mansions." If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Think about that word, a place. A place. You see, salvation is bringing us to a place. It's providing us a place. You notice that the word place means an area that is marked off. And in this case, it's an area that is marked off as a place where you belong. We're all familiar with this. We have a home, each of us, where we live. And when you go to your home, there's perhaps a piece of property which is associated with that home. And that's the place where you belong. That's where you sleep, where your stuff is. It's where you park your car at night where you leave when you go to work tomorrow. It's the place you come back and eat and where your family stays. And it's a place where you're comfortable. It's a place where you're at home. It's marked off. Now, if you went next door to your neighbor's house, that wouldn't be the place, you see. If you just walked into your neighbor's house and sat down on their couch, they came home from work and you were sitting there watching TV on the couch. Hey, how you doing? They probably wouldn't be too fond of having you there. Now, maybe you have a really good relationship with your neighbor. I'm not sure. But for most of us, that's not something that we would feel comfortable doing because that's not our place. But when we go to our own house, well, that's where we belong. No problem. I can sit on the couch. I can, I can uh, put on my, my slippers. I can be comfortable in this place. This is my house. This is where I belong. Now, notice that Jesus is using that same sense when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, there's a lot that he's saying here. One thing that he's pointing out is, and I hope you understand this, this world right here is not the place. This is not where we belong. He's communicating to these men, hey, men, you've got something to do and you're going to be here a little longer, but this is not the place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So often 
when we think about the things that trouble us, the things that bring us trouble in our mind and agitate us and bother us are so often centered around the things of this world. It's centered around stuff. It's centered around our reputation. It's centered around relationships which are temporary. But Jesus says, men, I'm I'm planning for the long haul. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, where is this place? Jesus says in verse 2, it is in my Father's house. That means it's in the presence of God the Father. In the presence of Jehovah God. You and I tend to think of this world as the place where we belong. In fact, we're quite comfortable here. We enjoy this world. There's things about it that we like, and this is the place where we're at home and where we find ourselves living our lives. But you understand, and I hope you understand this morning, that you and I were never intended to stay here forever. We're just here for a short time. And if you're saved, if you've been delivered by faith in Jesus Christ from the penalty of your sin, then you are just passing through. You're just sojourning. This is just a place where you are in your tabernacle, your body. You're here for a little while, but pretty soon you're going to be going somewhere a whole lot better than this. And that's not just fancy Christian talk to make everybody feel better about death. That's the promise of God. That's the assurance of Jesus Christ. You and I don't belong here on this earth if we're children of God We're headed to the Father's house. Now, Jesus said He's preparing a place there in His Father's house. And He says something very interesting in verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, that word, mansions, brings an image to our mind. Perhaps it's different for each one of us, depending on where we come from, what our background is. But most of us, when we see this word, tend to focus on the grand scale of what Jesus is promising. Mansions. That's a big promise. In fact, we have songs about this. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. And then we sing, I've got a mansion over the hilltop. And we say... Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be glorious. 15 floors, 137 rooms. I'm going to have 160 bathrooms. That way I'll never have to clean any of them. No. I mean, what do you picture? Do you picture a big house? Do you picture the gold? Do you picture the pearl, the pearly gates? What is it about heaven so often Our minds are caught up in the grandness of what Jesus is promising. And I'm not trying to take away from the magnificence of heaven because heaven's more magnificent than we can even imagine. But the focus of this passage and even the focus of this word, mansions, is more on the fact that we belong there. That it's the place that he's making For us, I don't know about you, but if I drive by a mansion here on this earth, I know one thing, I don't belong there. That's not my house. 
I know I can't afford that. That's not the place where I'll ever be living. That doesn't belong to me. That's what a lot of people think when they hear the word mansions. But Jesus is saying to these men of humble birth, men, I'm preparing a place for you. And it's a place where you may think that you aren't going to fit in. But in all actuality, you belong there. It's a place that I'm preparing for you. And that's really the emphasis that Jesus is making in John 14. It's a place prepared by Jesus. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. This is the promise of Jesus Christ himself, that he has gone ahead of us and he is preparing this place. Now, you and I could never prepare a place like this because we've never even been here. We have no idea what the building materials are. We have no idea how the permits are issued or, well, I don't think that'll be a problem. But the point is, you and I couldn't prepare this place. Actually, Jesus is promising these men, and by extension, he's promising us that this place will be prepared when we arrive. It's going to be move-in ready, prepared for us. But then even more, more stunning, more amazing, and what ought to cause us to be even more thankful is this. Not only did Jesus go to prepare a place, but he said that where I am, excuse me, back up, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And the intention that Jesus is expressing is that one day in this place which is prepared, Those who belong to God will be received in that place by Jesus himself. This is a wonderful thought. You know, it's impossible for you and I to make it to heaven on our own. It's impossible for us to make some road or some way that's going to get us to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. The only way to heaven is for us to be received by Jesus We've got to come by the right way. Jesus is the only reason that we could be received in this place. So many people that I talk to have this idea in their head. Well, one day when I die, I'm quite confident that I'll go to heaven. Why are you so confident that you'll go to heaven? Well, because I'm a good person. Because I've done a lot of good things. You know, I'm a, I'm a decent neighbor. Just talk to my neighbors and ask them. I, I, I go to church and I, I read the Bible. And I, I, after all, I'm a Christian. I act like a Christian. So surely one day I'm going to go to heaven. But they don't understand. That there's not a one of us that would be welcome in heaven with our own righteousness as the calling card. The only way to be welcomed into heaven is to come by way of Jesus. And this is why salvation, which is Jesus, provides a place. There's a preparation that is taking place and a reminder that we're not here for long. We're going somewhere pretty soon 
And we better make sure that we've got that place reserved through Jesus Christ. You still with me? Now come to the heart of the statement in verse 6. The declaration of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Fourth thought this morning, salvation is a person. Salvation is a person. Jesus is drawing the attention of these men to himself. Right in between verse 4 and verse 5, Jesus had been talking about the place. And in verse 6, Jesus declared that he's the way to that place. But in verse 5, which is right in the middle, Thomas, doubting Thomas, said to Jesus, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Here's what he's saying. We have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. Would you, would you stop talking code? Would you tell us exactly what you're referring to? We just don't understand. What do you mean? You're going away. Where are you going? How can we follow you if we have no idea where you're going? I don't understand. Now in verse 6... Jesus draws his attention back to one thing. And this one thing is something that Thomas already knows. And Thomas has already believed. He just doesn't realize that it answers his question. And Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying to Thomas, Thomas, you know me, don't you? We're talking right now. You know who I am. We have a relationship. You don't need to know a whole lot about all that other stuff. All you need to know is me. That's what Jesus is saying. Because salvation is a person. Sometimes we're trying to figure out too much of things that God has not told us. Too often we're opining about what heaven will be like. We want to know all the details. We want to be able to imagine it with an artist's conception. We'd like to make a movie about it. What does it look like? Brethren, first of all, whatever he hasn't told us, doesn't, it doesn't matter to us. There's a reason he hasn't told us. What are those reasons? Well, for one probably too wonderful for us to understand. For two, it doesn't really have a bearing on us in the here and now. He would have told us if it was important. For three, if we get too focused on all of that, we forget about the person who is the way of salvation. We get our eyes off on where we're going too much instead of why we're going there, you see. So salvation is a person. Do you understand this morning that our confidence is not primarily in a religion? Our confidence is not, I'm a Baptist. That's not our confidence. Our confidence is not in our way of life. Look at the way that I live. Look at my separatedness. That's not a word, but I just threw it in there. Look at, the, look at the way that I conduct myself. I'm upright. I'm a moral person. I mean, surely that's the focus. That's not the focus. 
Our confidence this morning is not on our own self-confidence. You know, so many people are nothing but bluster about heaven. When you talk to them, they are certain that they're going to heaven. And they have not one shred of a reason why they should believe that. Because when you question them, all of their confidence is just in themselves. And they can't see how tattered are the garments of their own righteousness. Don't allow your confidence to be in yourself. Jesus is not drawing the disciples' attention to themselves. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is one place where our confidence should be, should be invested. And that is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now consider what he says. He says, I am the way. You've probably heard it said before. There are many paths to heaven. I beg to differ. The Bible begs to differ. When Jesus says, I am the way, he is speaking in extremely exclusive terms. What he means is, there is no other way of salvation. There is no other way to get to heaven. There is no other way to have a relationship with God. The one way is Jesus Christ. If you turn away from Jesus and say, I'll find some other way, you may find a promising route that looks as if it leads you to heaven. Perhaps the road of moralism or the road of religion. And you think, this surely will lead me to the right place. But beware of the deception that exists on these roads. Because just as they seem to be arriving at the gates of heaven to deliver you into the presence of God, they suddenly make a fiery detour to the gates of hell. You understand that Jesus is the way. There is no other way. And when he speaks of himself as the way, He's referring to a road or a traveled way. He's speaking about a course of life. He's speaking about something that happens over the long term in someone's life. Too many people have this idea that they are on the way to heaven because they prayed a prayer 30 years ago and then went about to do whatever they wanted to do. And live however they wanted to live and follow their own path and ignore the way of Jesus. That's not biblical salvation, you see. When someone obeys the gospel and repents of their sin and believes on Jesus Christ, they enter a way, a path. That's going to mark their life for the days ahead on their way to heaven. Now, does this mean we'll never make a misstep or never get off the path or never have any mistakes. No, it doesn't mean any of that because we know that sin is a reality even for those who are saved. But the overriding tenor of this person's life is they're on the way. They're in relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. The truth. There's only one truth. Much to the dismay of modern society, which tells us 
You can have your own truth and I can have my truth. No, there's only one truth. It doesn't work that way. We're, we're not all just up for grabs, whatever you want to believe, and that can be true for you. No, truth is truth. Now, it is true that God made us with a, a, a free moral Spirit, we can make decisions, we have a conscience, we have the ability as free moral agents to make choices and decisions for our life. You can believe whatever you want, you can have whatever opinions that you want to have, but that doesn't make your opinions truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. If you want to know what is true, find out how that truth relates to Jesus. Lots and lots of examples of that truth is that which is reality, that which is a fact, that which is certainty. So many people think that the truth is whatever is in front of their eyes, whatever they can see and handle and touch. But you know, we're reminded in Scripture that truth is a little more elusive than that. And actually, a lot of the things that are right in front of our eyes are not true at all. They're not lasting. They're not permanent. That's why we're reminded in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jesus says, I am the truth. Believe the truth. Believe in Jesus. But notice again, the focus is on a person. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Over and over and over again in the gospel of John, Jesus speaks about life and it's quite clear through the record of Scripture that life in the Bible is different than the way we think about life. Life in the Bible is real, genuine vitality or relationship with God. It is eternal, spiritual life. It is much more than just living and breathing and walking and and going about our life. It's having a real relationship with God. But notice that Jesus says, I am the life. There is no relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. You will strive in vain to establish a relationship with God if you are avoiding Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Then Jesus says this, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It is impossible to get to the Father except through Jesus. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. Do you understand this morning that everything about a Christian is centered on Jesus Christ and without Jesus we have nothing? And yet it is amazing how many people claim to be Christians and give lip service to Jesus Christ, but the core of their belief is really in their own righteousness, in their own religion, in their own good works, instead of an emphasis on what Jesus has done. This morning, as we look at John 14, why did Jesus make this statement? Well, remember, he's talking to men who have believed He's talking to men who have followed him. He's talking to men, in other words, who are saved 
but they are confused about what is about to happen. They are confused about the path forward. They are confused, and because of that, they're troubled and they're agitated. And Jesus is saying to them, you know more than you think you do. You're confused about what's coming, but you actually know because you know me. And what's really important for you and I is not to know all the details about what's on the other side in eternity. What's really important is for us to know Him, to walk with Him, to to come to Him by faith, to obey the gospel, to repent of our sin and believe on Jesus Christ as the only one who can save us, as the one who died in our place on the cross, who is buried, who rose again from the dead. He's the one we've believed in. He's the way of salvation. He's the one who gives peace. He's the one upon whom all the promises of God are established. He's the one who's preparing a place. In other words, salvation is all about Jesus. And Jesus is all about salvation. Do you know that's what his name means? Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the one who came to rescue us. And that rescue is found in Him and Him alone. This morning, what about you? What is your relationship to Jesus? Have you placed your faith exclusively in Him to deliver you from your sin? Have you turned from your self-righteousness and from trying to make yourself right with God? Have you acknowledged that He is the truth? Do you know Him as real life? Do you affirm today that He is the way by walking with Him and in Him? What is your relationship to Jesus Christ? 